Hey everyone! Welcome to episode 331 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Romanian landscape photographer Doran Bofan. In addition to being a splendid photographer, Doran is an accomplished mountain runner and a new dad. We talked about the intersections of trail running and fatherhood with his photography and how he seeks to live a more simple life. Let's get to this week's episode with Doran Bofan. All right, Doran Bofan, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Your name has come up quite a few times from former guests as people that they wanted to learn more about and hear from. So I'm glad we could make this happen. Yeah, I'm really glad to. Uh, I haven't been able to, to listen to your podcast in, in the past, but I'll make sure to, to listen to some episodes. I think you're doing a great job and a consistent one. All right, Doran. Well, for, for people who aren't familiar with you and have not heard about you or seen your photography, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, 39, so almost 40 now. I've been doing photography for almost 20 years. I started uh, at first going into the mountains, and then I picked up photography while I was at the university. Now I'm married. Uh, I have a kid. He's a six-year-old. We go as often as possible into the mountains with him, try to to make him love and respect nature. I, I make my living doing photo tours, selling images here and there, but mainly tours all across the planet. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad you're taking your son into the mountains. That's That's how I got my introduction to nature as well. My parents were big outdoors people and I live in Colorado and I grew up in Colorado and they would we didn't have a lot of money growing up but we would go camping almost every weekend in the summer ever mm, since nice. I can remember and that's how I got introduced to nature yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong but like when you're not doing the photo tours you're you're the you're the dad so you're doing the cooking the cleaning you're taking care of getting your your son to where he to places he needs to go and things like that uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we split the cooking. Uh, my wife and I, she, she loves to cook. I'm like there to, to help, but uh, I do the grocery. I, I take the kids to kindergarten. And when I have some, uh, a little bit of spare time, I go out running or doing photography. But when I'm, uh, when I'm at home, I usually go running. We, we live near a forest. So it's a nice place to go to go for a run. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that here in a little bit in terms of how you how you juggle everything. So because that's top of my mind as well. <laughs> well, right on, Doran. So tell us what it's like living in Transylvania as a landscape photographer. Yeah, so Transylvania is a historical part of uh, Romania. Romania is located in Eastern Europe. It's part of the European Union. Uh, what is nice about Romania is that it's so diverse geographically and from a biodiversity standpoint. So you got a lot of things to do and photograph. I'm, inst- I'm interested mainly in uh, going to the mountains. So we have the, um, uh, probably around half of the Carpathians range. It's, uh, it's stretching from, uh, from the north side of the country um, to, to the south. Uh, west so there are there is a lot of ground to cover when it comes to when it comes to photography and that's my my playground i guess it's a beautiful place one of your patriots uh daniel uh larea i think his name is he entered a competition i created last year and he won our projects yeah 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 and it was a mountains project yeah yeah, yeah, amazing images. I mean, I, I know those places, but he did a stunning job uh, capturing uh, those. Yeah, that's yeah, all right at yeah. your doorstep. Nice. Yeah, nice. Well, let's let's dive into getting to know you and your kind of photographic process a little bit more. I'd be really curious to hear you talk about your approach to using photography and your images 
as a means for personal expression? Yeah, so in my formative years, I had about five or six years where I did a lot of copying and uh, mimicking other photographers' images. I think it's a necessary process and it's something that teaches you a lot about technique, about composition. But at some point, after reading uh, quite a bit of books, I have quite a bit of books at home about photography. I like to read about photography, not only look at images. I realized that photography can indeed be a form of art. And like any form of art, it's something that you want to say about the world. You want to express your opinion. You want to show the world who you are, the way you think, the way you conduct yourself. Uh, what are your values and your life principles, let's say. And I try as much as possible to put this into my work. And if I can be original, if I can show a little bit of originality in my works, then it's, it's mission accomplished, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that resonates quite a lot with me. In fact, maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago, that's kind of the direction I started to head with my own photography. But it's one of those things that's very, I don't know about you, but for me, it was very hard to put my finger on. Like, what does that actually mean? Like, how do you, how do you instill part of who you are into your images? And I'm curious if you have thought about that or if you can articulate what that looks like in terms of your process in the field or the way you think about approaching images or or whatever what i usually do i try to put some text behind the images whether i'm journaling whether i'm making a social media post in which i try to explain whether the way i the way i did the image uh, what motivated me to make the image or something that's going on in my life so I think from a visual standpoint, it's kind of hard to to bring this, to, to, to make this parallel between what are your beliefs, how your character is, how you are as a person and the actual image. So I think by writing, um, I'm sort of bridging this gap between the visual and the more, um, so the writing part, the explaining part of, of what I do. And I think it helps me, first and foremost, it helps me to understand better what I do and how I can move forward with it, if that makes any sense. It makes a ton of sense. I, I am finding myself doing more and more on that. In fact, a lot of photographers I talk to, they tell me that they hate coming up with titles and they don't like writing about their photographs, but... And I'm always like, oh, really, I, I really enjoy it because of what you just said. It gives me yeah. a vehicle through which I can try to kind of introspectively look at the image and think about, okay, I know this is just a picture of a tree or whatever, right? But like, is there more yeah. to it for me? Was What else is going on here that, that I noticed or that I found interesting? And I like to explore that through writing as well. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah, I think there are two aspects when it comes to making uh, personal images. Uh, first, I need to be able to explain to myself why I made that particular image, why I chose that particular composition or that particular editing. And on the other hand, um, I like to let the viewers make their own interpretations. But if someone asks me, why did you choose that specific approach to make that specific image, then I feel like it's my responsibility to, to be able to offer an explanation. You know, my, my own personal view on what my images represent or how I built and why I built this portfolio and so on. I love that, Torin. I mean, I feel like that is the question that I, I find a lot of photographers not asking themselves. They will edit an image a specific way or they might do some something very, I don't know, let's just say extreme to an image, which is fine. Like you have, you're, you're an artist, I guess you can do whatever you want. But like, I think it's important to be able to articulate why you chose to do that more than just like, it looks neat. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And another thing I do because I I had a presentation at some point uh, in the past, and someone asked me, "What do you feel when you make images?" And I told them, "Hey, I mean, I don't feel almost anything. I, I'm super focused. I go into the into a flow state. I'm very analytical when it comes to the the um, the process of making the the actual mm -hmm. image, and I let the feelings." For the time when I'm not photographing, when I'm into the mountains and I'm in awe of what I'm seeing. But when I make images, it's, it doesn't have to do with emotions. The emotions maybe come afterwards if I write a text that's associated mm. to that specific image. But when I'm out there, I just try to, to be as focused as possible. Yeah, I know that, that, that resonates a lot with me. I think my process is a little bit different because oftentimes I find myself getting super excited um, when I mm -hmm. see a certain scene, which then I'm like, oh, I got to photograph that. And then the analytical piece yeah. takes over for a minute. And then when I'm done, I can re-enjoy it again. But it's I'm right there with you. Like when I'm actually making the image, all of the all of that stuff is kind of set to the side. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about, in your opinion, what's the difference between nature photography and documentary photography? Well, I'm a big fan of documentary photography. I mean, I look at a lot of uh, documentary images, uh, especially from the past. I really like uh, the images that Robert Capa did during all the wars he participated in. And for me, that's documentary photography. So it involves, usually it involves people, it involves projects, it involves telling stories in a way. With nature photography, I think it's a bit different because we tend to show the beauty of nature. And I think that's a bit of a stigma for nature photography because we tend to show the beauty, but then other things are set aside in a way, if that makes sense. I mean, of course, there's not... In my own life, there are a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, and I always have a hard time putting those those struggles and the way I think about them into into art, into making images. And I think that's that's a challenge that I still have, and probably that makes photography, nature photography in particular, a little bit of more a on the documentary side, when I'm able to, to say something about me. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but it's, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a distinct, uh, there's a, a, a clear distinction between nature photography and documentary photography. So I'm just trying to make that clear. What does that distinction look like? Because in my own processes, a lot of the times, kind of as we were discussing, you're so focused on the, you know, the analytical side of things, you know, getting your composition correct and things like that, that oftentimes I'm not necessarily always aware of the non-documentary side. Like, obviously, I want to capture what's in front of me in a way that looks good, but sometimes like i guess maybe another way of putting it how do you know when it's transcended beyond that uh i try to do that with most of my images so if i make an interpretation of the scene then i would say it's not documentary but i try to make it as true to how the scene was as possible so even if i choose to overexpose or underexpose heavily when i when i actually make the image it's still true to what I saw, but at the same time, it becomes something else because I chose to to underexpose by three or five stops and make the scene look like something else, something that's closer to how I envisioned that scene that I, that mm. I saw. Yeah, it's interesting not to get too deep in the weeds on the whole digital editing argument, but... I've always yeah. found people that, you know, like they have YouTube tutorials on like swapping skies or like painting in new light that didn't exist or new colors or whatever it is. 
And the argument that they always use to kind of like just justify it, so to speak, is that, well, if I don't do anything to it, then it's not art. And I don't, I think, mm -hmm. I think that's a huge misconception. I think it's very possible to create art without significant editing techniques. I mean, it's just a matter of field craft. It's a matter of vision. It's a matter of framing composition. It's a matter of like how you incorporate light in different ways or different colors that are combined in different ways. I think, and in some ways that requires a, a totally different skill set that you know, and same as editing. Editing is a whole other skill set as well. So I'm glad that you said that because I, I don't think it's true that you have to significantly alter the way the scene looks after the fact in order for it to qualify as art. Yes, of course. And and to uh, to make another point to what you said, you 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 said you said a key word, the field craft. I think uh, this this field craft part in a way forces you to work within limitations. If afterwards in the editing uh, phase of completing the image, you choose to like replace the sky or do all sorts of crazy stuff, then you have total freedom in a way. And I really don't agree with this total freedom idea in relation to creativity. I think the more limited you are, the, the more capable to be creative you, you could become sometimes in the future, or you are now if you have enough experience. But uh, I, li I like to work within certain limitations. I mean, all my photography career, I had only two lenses. So I'm working, in, I'm working on only two lenses. I have a mid-range and a telephoto lens, which is my favorite lens. I admit it's a 70-200. So that's it. I mean, that's basically it. And uh, the fact that I limited myself to these two lenses, in a way, I feel like it uh, allowed me uh, to, to be more creative, to find ways to be more creative in a, a more confined space. Well... It's counterintuitive if you think about it. You know, it's like, oh, if I have no limitations and I can just do whatever I want, I'm going to be so much more creative. But they've actually people that study creativity in science, you know, cognitive science, they find that people that place limitations on, uh, such as you know, lens choice or any kind of limitation, really, it actually fosters creativity. And there's plenty of yeah. documented studies that prove that that's actually the case. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Maybe to, to give credence to the other side of the argument, I'm curious in your mind, how is each approach valid in terms of storytelling and artistry? I, I do not mind seeing all sorts of photography, where it's heavily edited, where it's made almost exclusively in camera. So I think there's a place for each style. And I think it's the artist's choice to do to do it one way or the other. So it's something I do not mind. I mean, for me, it is what it is. It's it's always a challenge. It's always this constant quest of working within limitations. I do it because I'm very curious and I like to know more about the natural world. And it's enough for me. I mean. Everybody is free to do whatever they feel like makes them happy. No, it's well said. Yeah, if it makes you happy, you knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite questions I love to ask everyone, and it's something I think you have an interest in as well, is why do you make photographs? I started making photography when I was at the university, and it was like a way of... I was, uh, as a kid, I was very introverted. So I had like a really hard time socializing. And as I grew up uh, without much socializing, I realized that, of course, I'm a human being. I need that. And uh, one way to, to, to get people to, 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 to speak to me or me to speak to them was like showing them my work. And... As time went by, I felt more and more that I was part of a community where I got a sort of validation that I didn't get before, maybe. 
that was at the beginning, maybe in the first 10 years. So I was seeking validation. I mean, I think every artist at some point seeks that. It's, it's something that we all must admit sooner or later. But as time went by, I started to seek it less and less and care less and less about what other, what other people thought about my works or about me. Now I do it because it fosters my curiosity. So it allows me to, it allows me to know the world, to know other people. Even with the tours that I organize, I mean, if I wouldn't have gotten into photography, I wouldn't have gotten the chance to meet so many people. I mean, a lot of them are my friends, so I can call them friends. We go into the mountains together, we, we talk on the phone, and it's really nice that it opened up a world that I didn't know was possible for me as an introvert, as a, as a person that usually seeks solitude instead of a social life. Yeah, yeah, no, it's funny because I'm it's kind of the opposite in terms of social, like I've always been really extroverted and things like that. But um, photography, as, as you probably know, like you're almost 40, the older you get, the harder it is to make friends and meet new people. But photography is such a great vehicle through which you can maintain long term relationships with people that have common interests. Yeah, exactly. Some of my best friends are also photographers, and it's so nice that we can talk about photography in so many ways. I mean, we can get philosophical, we can get technical, we can talk about our personal lives and how photography interacts with that. So it's, it's, there are so many facets to, to doing photography and having a community and being part of a community. We've talked about making friends and being part of a community and getting some validation for your artistry. What are some other ways that nature photography has enhanced your life? I guess it's allowed me to travel a little bit more and uh, see how other people live. I think it, it, got me, it got me into running too because uh, once my kid was born, I couldn't do a lot of photography, but I wanted to do it. So I wanted to get away as much as possible from home. And then I told myself, okay, I cannot do photography. What can I do? So I really got into, I really got into running, but I did it because I couldn't do photography as often as I wanted to. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, it's nice. Sometimes it's nice to be able to move to move light into the mountains so you don't have to carry like a large and heavy backpack just with a small running pack and you're out the door and uh, i'm actually doing i'm actually experimenting uh, with uh, trail running photography so i pack my camera into a um, into a jacket and i stuff it into the small running pack and I go running, and if I see something interesting, I stop, I, uh, I pull the camera out, take a few pictures, and then go running again. So I, I, it's, it's interesting to do it like that. I mean, I, it's no, no tripods, no fancy settings, no nothing, just the camera, and you're out the door. Oh, not, we don't usually talk about gear, but like, what lens are you throwing on there for trail running? <laughs> Uh, the 70 to 200, yeah, from oh, Sony. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. it, it actually works. It, it's heavy, but uh, I, I got a system in place, so it, it actually works quite nice. No, that makes sense. I do a lot of backpacking with my camera gear, so it's like always a, you know, it's a sacrifice. Like, okay, I'm probably not going to bring my 100 to 400, but, you know, like, yeah, it's a totally different approach. Yeah, I like I like to do it like the the, uh, the normal, the classical way. So I like to, to bring more lenses and spend mm. spend the time in one place uh, camping, like a few days camping in one spot and explore that specific spot with my tripod. So I do it like that too. I mean, it's it depends on the situation. I'm curious now though, when you're running, 
obviously you don't have as much time to like stop and think and you know compose and stuff like that but at, at the same time that is another constraint like we were talking about so I'm curious how have you approached that style of making images in terms of you know maybe compare and contrast the two types of image making between trail running and the more traditional approach well uh, when you do photography on fast forward uh, you actually have to think more like a documentary photographer because usually the documentary photographers tend to snap images as they go along, especially with street photography. So with, with all the background and all the previous experiences, like I have these image patterns in my head, so I don't have to think quite a lot about making a specific image. If I see something, then I know it's within two or maybe three image patterns. So I, I tend to work quite quite quickly on it, um, and I do it and I do it like that on tours too. Because of course, in tours, the participants, the people are your main priority. But sometimes mm -hmm. I can snap I can snap a picture for myself. Most most often than not. Without you, you, without using the tripod, so I just put the camera to my eye and then snap a picture, and that's it. Then I can take care of the people. Yeah, so it it comes with practice, I guess. Yeah, so you're the first person I've ever heard use the term image pattern, and I I, I think I have an understanding of what you mean by it, but. What are, like, maybe give, give us some examples of what are some of the image patterns that you have that are kind of, like, easily accessible to you that, 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 you, that you see and you, and you execute upon? Yeah, so, like, like, when you photograph intimate scenes in the forest, usually you tend to, uh, you tend to point the camera straight down, so on a 90-degree angle from, um, from, the, from the earth. So you just put it straight down and just shoot a bunch of leaves or flowers. So that could be that could be a pattern that I'm using on some images. Another pattern would be like when photographing flowers, opening the aperture, getting down low. I have a flip screen on my camera, so I don't have to to sit to sit on my belly or anything like that. I just put the camera close to the close to the soil and points to towards the subject and that's another scenario that i can quickly work, work on on one photographing forests usually with forests it's pretty straightforward it just look like directly onto the scene you don't have to work too much on it i guess so yeah stuff like that no that makes sense yeah I, yeah i'm a, is that that's 70 to 200 is that the uh, 2.8 no it's uh f4 Two eight is okay. too heavy. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, no, I've got the F four as well, so like I might have to try some of that with when I go on my like quick runs because I, yeah. I have a, like it's like more of a deciduous. Well, it's like pine trees and stuff like high desert near me that I go running into a lot. But maybe I'll start bringing my mm -hmm. seventy two hundred F four and see how I can pull off some of that. <laughs> yeah, I should definitely try it. Yeah. All right. Well. We've touched on this a little bit, but I would love for you to expand a little bit more on some of the challenges of your family life and photography. So how have you managed to balance family and photography? Because I, I probably once a month I'll get an email or a Instagram message from somebody that's like, I'm going to be a dad and I know you have a son and what is that like for you? So what, what's it been like for you to try to juggle all that? I mean, it wasn't easy. I wasn't actually prepared for this role of being a husband and a dad and a family man. Uh, so once my, my kid was born, I started to focus since I was bound home. I started to focus more on a project like uh, books. So I did my first book uh, four years ago, three, four years ago, and that was a good time to to look back at all the work that I did in the previous years and work on a project that meant that I could spend a lot more time at home, although it wasn't easy. I mean, if I were to choose, I would definitely spend time traveling and going to the mountains, but it wasn't it wasn't possible. 
So I, I, I basically switch the approaches. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm bound home. I would work on a book. Uh, I would maybe write a little bit more. And when I go, uh, when I, when I'm doing the photo tours, I try to focus just a little bit more on doing some photography for myself, just to have some new images to, to show. Yeah, but it's it's not something that you can actually balance it. I don't think there's a balance to it. So you either have to do this or that. And you have to accept that you cannot do both as as best as you would have wished for. It's funny because I was a dad before I was into photography heavily. So it's always been a part of my life. And I was always okay with like okay, maybe I'm only going to do like three trips this year or, you know, whatever. Like maybe it, maybe only like six or seven weekends in total for the whole year to get new photographs. So I've always been kind of used to it. But I'm guessing like people that were super into photography before having a kid, like it's a really jarring transition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something that I haven't gotten used to to this day after six years. I still think about photography and uh, my wife tells me from time to time you should like leave, you should leave us for a week and go do photography because I'm I'm seeing that you're frustrated and you want to go out and do all this and I'm saying no because I feel responsible, I want to stay home, but no, go because when you come (laughs) back you'll be you'll be the better version of yourself. No, I think that's really important. Having that relationship and that honesty and having somebody that recognizes that you need to do that for yourself. I think that's, I think that's important. I mean, I do that for my wife as well. Like, Hey, why don't you go, go do a trip, just you and your friends and I'll hold down the fort. It's no big deal. Like, I think it's important for everyone to be able to pursue stuff outside of just being home 24 7 365 yeah 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 so have you been able to do that yeah 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 sure sure i mean my my wife is very yeah my wife is very supportive and she she can handle the the daily life well while i'm out so yeah and of course i I, um yeah i encourage her to do to do the same so we we definitely try to do trips with our friends separated from family. So it's not always all about the family because I don't think it's a healthy way of, of maintaining a relationship long term. I've heard stories of some friends of mine where they'll be like, man, I just never get to go out and make images. And um, I'm like, well, why don't you just ask your partner like, if you can take a week and go do it? And they're like, they won't let me. <laughs> And I'm like, man, you should have had that conversation before you had kids. That's all I got to say about that. Because <laughs> that's not realistic or healthy for any yeah. relationship, in my opinion. Yeah. So I met my wife through our common passion for the mountains. And mm-hmm. she she fell in love with my photography before knowing me. Yeah, I have I have this amazing advantage that she still likes yes. my photography. <laughs> And she she encourages me to to do it. Yeah, that's nice leverage. That's really nice leverage. I think I I, I suspect for some people, like if your spouse doesn't really like the mountains or nature or photography, it's a much harder sell, right? Like you're like, trust me, it's it's really cool. I I get to have all these fun trips. And they're like, I just need you to stay here and help out the house. (laughs) You know, like they don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tough. What advice would you have for someone who like maybe just had a kid for the first time and they're freaking out? Well, uh, it's okay to freak out first. That's it's perfectly normal to, to freak out, to be tired, to be frustrated, to feel like you don't know what you're doing. It's it's human nature. And you should you shouldn't beat yourself up, you know, if you can't do all the things that you want to do. You have to take responsibility for the new life that you are starting when a kid is, is born. But also, most definitely discuss it with your partner that you, you still want to do the things that you love. Just don't do it as often. 
because it might it might uh, come in conflict with all the responsibilities that you need to be able to pull off at home. So, family, family is family's priority. The, the main priority is, is yourself, of course. The second priority would be your partner, and the third priority is your kid. You have to, to think about these priorities, but you must never forget to, uh, to neglect that. If you're focused too much on yourself, you might neglect your, your partner, and that could, be, that could put you in a sketchy situation. For sure. Yeah, it depends on every relationship. I'm, I feel super lucky because my wife has always been very supportive of me. I mean, when I, when, when my son was born, starting that year, I decided to give up video games and climb mountains instead. And that meant, you know, in some weird ways, I was home less, but I was actually a better, I was a better partner and a better parent because the time that I was away, it was focused. And then the time I was home, I was home. So um, sometimes it's good to just have a little bit of that selfish time so that you can be more present when you are home. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And what happens, uh, what happens to me also is that if I'm away for a week or two weeks, I start to miss my family, and that's a good feeling to miss your family. Yeah. Not to be overwhelmed by their presence. It's, it's super nice to miss them once in a while so yeah yeah i agree yeah it's funny i um as we're recording this it's june 20 june 16th and on june 1st i left to go do a workshop and the day that i got back um which was like last sunday i got home at night but my wife and son left in the morning for two weeks and i won't see them see them again until the 26th so we got like 26 days without seeing each other <laughs> it's been really weird yeah yeah all right well let's let's shift gears again i'm really curious to talk to you about this particular topic um mostly cuz it resonates a lot with me and my values i was taking a look at your website and i saw that um on your website you talk about how you like to live a simple life by living more sustainably. I'm curious what that looks like and how does that approach of living inform your approach or philosophy in nature photography? Yeah, so uh, we have a rule in the house for every new object that enters the house, two objects must come out. So that's a good that's one. A rule it's a good that, rule. That, that's a rule that we, we try to yeah, we try to follow. I don't have a lot of clothes, so like I could stop a suitcase with all of my clothes, except for the camping equipment and the mountain equipment and all that. Uh, I don't like to buy clothes and a lot of stuff. And we only have one car, and we try to use it wisely, especially in the city. I try not to eat meat. I have about three years since I stopped eating meat, but not on health considerations, but more on environmental ones. And I'm still surviving. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Well, Doran, I've been a vegetarian since 2012, so I think you're going to be fine, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Congrats. Yeah, and I did it for the same reasons. Well, that's one of the reasons. For me, it was primarily it was about just the humane treatment of animals. And as a nature lover, it was hard for me to reconcile in my mind, like, okay, you love nature and you love animals, but you're also killing them for your food, like where's the disconnect here? So that, that was hard for me to kind of wrap my head around. And then of yeah. course the environmental impact of, especially, you know, cattle, it just the amount of water it requires. And, you know, the I don't think most people are aware of just the forest deforestation across the planet that's been done in order to accommodate the growing demand of beef all over the world, especially in Brazil and developing countries. It's pretty amazing how much rainforest has been cleared just for cattle. So yeah, it's a big deal, man. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that uh, I did together with a friend of mine is that we we are in the process of uh, establishing a um, nature reserve in my hometown. So I don't live in my hometown currently, but 
we are planning, sort of planning to, to, to move. But in my hometown, there is this forest in the middle of the city. We had this chance of entering in an environmental network that aims to protect uh, natural urban spaces. So we founded an NGO and starting all the bureaucratic uh, stuff to get uh, this, this forest protected. It's still an ongoing process and we're facing a lot of hurdles, especially here in Romania when you're trying to protect something. Um, there is a lot of work to be done and it's and it's so different from making photography, from organizing tour. I mean, we ha you have to meet with um, uh, the Forest Council. You have to meet with the mayor. We, have, we had several meetings with the mayor of the city. And it's, it's something that really got me out of my comfort zone. But it's something that I felt like I, I needed to try just to, feel, just to see how, it, uh, how, how it's like to, to be... An, uh, an environmental activist and to try to, to protect uh, a little bit of nature just to, to leave something behind from for, for future generations so yeah that's that's another thing that i'm currently working on i love it and i'm curious have you been using your photography to try to um, spread messages or to try to be more of an activist? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, every chance, every chance that I get, I, I, I use my photography as, uh, as a means to, because ultimately we are, you know, we are emotional beings. We react to what we see, to photographs, to, to um, clips, to movies and all that. And I think uh, the visual arts have a strong impact when it comes to um, to the environment to the environment so yeah definitely we try to use that as often as possible but um, ultimately it all comes down to a lot of bureaucratic stuff a lot of meetings a lot of communications with all the involved parties it's a different set of skills that you have to develop yeah but you know that's how you grow as a person yeah yeah for sure yeah all right well shifting gears completely again i was looking at your website and i wanted to ask you about how you organize your photographs on your website it seems like it's kind of a hybrid of projects and concepts and i'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about your thinking about how you organize your images yeah, so it's mainly about concepts. I always like to, to work with concepts rather than, let's say, locations when organizing my portfolio. But these concepts have, uh, have changed over the years, of course, because I've changed and I've changed my point of view. But also when it comes to making books, for example, then I, I bring a part of the concepts a part of the portfolio that's on my website. I try to put it in a project that takes a physical form, like it was with my first book about about Northern Europe. So countries like Norway, Iceland, Feroe Island, which I visited, especially with the photo tours over the years. And then I realized, uh, hey, it's this could be a project. This could be something that I could put in a physical form and it would be a different manifestation of all the work that I've done so far. So yeah, it's, it's indeed a hybrid, just like you said. And I'm just curious, how do you come up with your concepts? Like, um, I'm guessing eventually you might come across something new that's, that might have one or two or three or five images. Like you reach a certain point where you're like, okay, I have enough here that I can create a new gallery of images. Like, what does that look like for you? Uh, it usually starts with an image. So one image might get me an idea and then I could work on making more images that are similar to that image because um, I believe there's room to work there. Other times, just like you said, I could have more images that are grouped together by a common theme, but that happens. It doesn't happen all that often. So I'm more 
inclined to do it based uh, on uh, an image that I made and then work my way on building around that theme that I found in the initial image. So I think that that translates a specific gallery into a project like it was with, uh, I have a gallery on my website dedicated to flowers captured in different scenarios. So I made an image of a flower and then I worked my way up until I built a, a gallery. I like that approach because you're, you're, you're not committing yourself to anything necessarily, but it makes you more open to trying to find those types of images when you're out in the field. Yeah, and you're working on a concept until you you feel like you completed it or you feel like you're done with it and then you can move on. So I like to work on something until I'm completely satisfied that I did my best to, to come up to come up with my best iterations of that that idea in a way. And how so what does that look like? You know, is it five images? Is it 10 images? Is it a hundred images? Like, how do you know when you're, when you're at that finish line? Usually I get, I, I usually I get bored of it. So when I get <laughs> bored of it, I say, okay, I'm done. Next, um, next project, next idea. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It can happen in like six months. It can happen in 10 years. You never know how it's going to be. Right. All right. Well, I just have a couple more questions for you. The first one is, I would love for you to tell us about your um, upcoming book, which I believe is called Terra Silva. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Romanian is a Latin language, much like uh, French, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese. So we studied quite a bit of Latin in school. So these are Latin words. Terra, of course, means planet Earth, and uh, Silva means forest in Latin. So it's roughly translated the land of the forest. Forests uh, and trees have appeared around 400 million years ago on planet Earth. And at some point, they, they became so widespread all across the planet that they influenced the atmosphere and made the world what it is today. So they have a big impact on our planet and it's a reason, of course, it's a reason why we should protect as much as possible. Yeah, that's, that's the whole point of the book. Initially, I told myself that I would go on each continent where there are forests, of course, to photograph all type of forest ecosystems. But then I told myself, I don't have the time, I don't have the financial resources to do it, and I, I should work with, with what I have now. And maybe on a second edition, I could go to places like, I don't know, New Zealand, Australia, Asia, places that are more exotic. But for the time being, on this first edition, I focused a lot on uh, Europe, mainly my, my home country, but other parts of Europe. Uh, I also have some images that I made in South America, in Patagonia. So yeah, uh, there are about 100, around 120 images on around 150 pages. And I hope that it's going to, to be something that the people will appreciate. I mean, it's, it's been taking me almost 10 years to, to complete it. And I'm super stoked to, to show it to the world. Yeah, when when do you, when are you planning on releasing it? So uh, I've entered the production phase just this week, and probably I'm gonna release it October, November, just in time for Christmas. Because usually before Christmas, sales for this type of products, which is more niche, uh, is going up. It's something that you could make a present, or, yeah, give give to your family or your friends. Yeah. Right. Nice. And are you, is it, um, are you self-publishing or do you have a, how, yes. are you, yeah. Yes, I'm self-publishing. I think it's easier that way. I can make all the decisions by myself and uh, not be dependent on a, on a publishing house. And are you going to crowdfund it or what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, most likely I'm going to do that. Uh, I have some sponsorship probably for about a fifth of the production costs, but it's not nice. nearly enough. So, yeah. I'm going to do, probably I'm going to do some pre-orders, yeah. something, yeah, something like a crowdfunding project. Nice. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I wish you the best of luck for that, and you know when it when it when it's ready to 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 be sent out, shoot it my way, and I'd be happy to share it with everyone. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, last question: uh, Who do you recommend for the podcast? Who are some f- photographers that have inspired you? Uh, yeah, there are so many, but over the years, I kept looking at. Uh, Bruce Percy's portfolio. He's a Scottish photographer. He actually came to Romania two times and I guided him. And he wrote the foreword for my uh, first book. An all-around great guy, super super smart, uh, super creative. Uh, He knows so much about photography and I think you should definitely have him on your podcast. He has a blog. He writes quite a bit extensive about photography. He does only film photography. Uh, yeah, an all-around uh, great guy. Another uh, photographer, he's a wildlife photographer from Italy, Bruno D'Amicis is his name. He has a lot of nice projects, a lot of books. I saw a presentation of him at uh, uh, Nature Photography Festival in Germany. I think it's one of the biggest in Europe. And I really like uh, his presentation. And he has a he he works a lot on uh, he works a lot on uh, on projects, and uh, he collaborates with a lot of uh, environmental NGOs. He does a lot of uh, conservation photography, so I think uh, he has a lot of interesting stories to share. Another would be an Austrian guy, Andreas Teresch. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. I shared some trips with him in the Alps many years ago. Other photographers that I really appreciate, but I don't know personally, are uh, Thomas Fleckenstein. He's a guy living in Iceland. I think he's very, very creative. He does a lot of abstract and personal work, really expressive. And uh, Wes Charton, also a guy that I found on uh, Instagram, I think. Yeah. Oh. Awesome. Nice. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully they, they will join our, your podcast. Yeah, I've reached out to Bruce like 50 times over the years and we've exchanged a few emails, oh. but maybe maybe someday we'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll write him an email nice. if you want nice. to. Well, that's all I have for now, but um, I know we have another topic we're going to talk about for our Patreon supporters as a bonus episode. We're going to talk a little bit about your um 83 kilometer run that you did recently and i'm super curious to pick your brain on that but for now we'll go ahead and sign off and i just wanted to thank you for taking the time and and i really enjoyed our conversation yeah thank you for this opportunity i really enjoyed it too awesome well thank you to doran for joining me on the podcast this week I really had a great time and I wish you the best of luck in raising your son while pursuing your career in landscape photography. I know it isn't easy, but I think you've got the perfect mindset. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.